Proverbs 31 open there with me. Stand in honor of God's word. We're going to begin in Proverbs 31, and then we're going to continue for the next two weeks in Proverbs 31. Couldn't think of a better day than Mother's Day to kick it off. Proverbs 31, you there? Say amen. It says, the sayings of King Lemuel contained this message which his mother taught him. O my son, O son of my womb, O son of my vows, do not waste your strength on women, on those who ruin kings. It's not for kings, O Lemuel, to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave alcohol. For if they drink, they may forget the law and not give justice to the oppressed. Alcohol is for the dying and wine for those in bitter distress. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Father in heaven, we have the instruction of a mother to a son this morning in Proverbs 31, and not just any son, a king. And Father, I ask that we would walk away richer, fuller for having received the same instruction this morning. Father, fill us to overflowing. Father, make it impossible for us to contain that which you fill us with. Let it flow out and on to others. And so, Father, increase territory and influence for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Look at somebody and say, I want that. Amen. Amen. So who was King Lemuel? Well, Lemuel means one that is for God or devoted to God. And more than one theologian believed that Lemuel was Solomon. In 2 Samuel 12, 25, God gave Solomon the name Jedidiah at birth. Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. So Lemuel would be a fond, enduring name like that which a mother would give his son. And so if it's true that this is Solomon, King Lemuel here, he obviously thought highly enough of his mother, whom we all know was, was Bathsheba, to include her instructions as he wrote the book of Proverbs. So these would be the teachings of Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. And we know from Proverbs 1.8 and Proverbs 6.20 that Solomon taught that we should not neglect a mother's instruction. In the next two weeks, I'm going to be looking at verses 10 through 31 in a two-part series that I've entitled, A Woman Who Fears the Lord. Today, we're going to look at the three areas of instruction the king's mother gave him. And how many of you know that by now, Bathsheba had learned a few things in life? How many of you know that she has a story to tell? And please keep in mind that there's nowhere recorded in Scripture that Bathsheba was claiming that she had been taken advantage of by King David. There's nowhere recorded, recorded in Scripture that David raped Bathsheba. She must have been a willing participant. And so we can see some stuff now on the other side of this. And now 
her son is king. She had an affair with a king, cost her her husband's life, and now her son is king. And so you've got to believe that things are swirling. She loses her first child that David impregnated her with, and now her son is king, and she is instructing him as only a woman who has the life experience of a Bathsheba could. And so let's look at these three areas because I believe if this is indeed Bathsheba's instruction, it would be worth a listen. Notice in verse 3, she says, do not waste your strength on women. Notice it says women, not wife. It says women, not wife. Interesting to note, though, that the same word strength is used to describe the wife in verse 10. It's used to describe the wife in verse 10. The implication is clear here. A wife is strength, but unmarried sex depletes your strength. A wife is strength, but unmarried sex depletes your strength. Lack of sexual discipline has taken down many a leader. Men that I know well, it's amazing, 80% of the ministers that had moral failures believed that they could handle the situation and didn't turn to anybody for help. It's for that reason here at the church that I very seldom, if at all, counsel women one-on-one. That's what my wife is for, and she's a very capable counselor. I encourage the young men on staff to not be in one-on-one situations with women, if at all possible, not to even give them rides, if at all possible. We do our best to protect our staff. I'm a strong proponent for a healthy sex life and marriage, and I am so against pornography. And the big lie of pornography, and men, you know what's up, and if you struggle in this area, you know exactly what I'm talking about The big lie of pornography is that the way that those pics are taken, those gals look like they want you. They don't want you. They're posing that way so that you'll think they want you. It's the biggest lie. And you're giving your strength away. You're giving it away. Don't give it away. Pastor John, I I have this sex drive. It's undeniable. Absolutely. You don't make a sex drive disappear. You discipline it. You discipline it. Are we still in diapers? Are we still having somebody feed us? Obviously, as we mature, disciplines should be incorporated into our life. Discipline marks maturity. Your ability to balance, to live this balanced, disciplined Christian life marks whether you're mature or not in the Lord. And your sex drive is no different. There should be a maturity there. There should be a discipline there. Verse 4, the second area. It says rulers should not crave alcohol in verse 4. Well, we know the book of Proverbs condemns drunkenness, as is evident from Proverbs 21, 17, Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. But let me just make a statement here. This is not instruction against alcohol entirely. And I need you, before we go any further right now, to not think like an American and to not think our culture, because in our American culture, alcohol and drunkenness go hand in hand. But not too many other cultures is that the way. I'm gonna present you a solid, balanced, biblical stance on alcohol, and you can take it up with the Lord and his word later. The Faith Life Study Bible Commentary says, this is not an absolute prohibition since wine was a staple of normal diets 
and royal banquets. Again, like sex, it's a matter of discipline. I'm going to tell you right now, believe it or not, God did not have a problem with alcohol. And alcohol is not the issue. Bible says in Matthew 15 that it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles, it's what comes out of the heart that defiles. Well, Pastor John, there have been ministers that have struggled with drink, have struggled with substances. Even then, the drink and the substances weren't the issue, the heart was. The heart was. Come on, church, let's get balanced. Um, Let's present a balanced stance on this. So what's the instruction then? It's about discipline. Don't be given to it. It should not be the influence in your life. God should. The Holy Spirit should be. And don't make it the focus. Don't make it the focus. Let me give you as balanced a portion of Scripture on this as I could. Well, Pastor John, they call it spirits. Well, they call it that because of the way people are changed when there's abundance of it. People change when they have too much food, too. And so let's time, church, as soon as I'm lying, let me know. Romans 14, go there with me. Somebody's got to love you enough to say something about this stuff. Romans 14. Look at Romans 14, 21. It says, it's better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. I'm reading out of the New Living because I believe it's one of the better renderings here. But keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. Can I just say this? Two things mark Christian maturity. Two things mark Christian leadership. Sobriety and discretion. And if you have a personal freedom, you have no problem having a beer, you have no problem having a glass of wine, keep it to yourself if you're a leader. Keep it to yourself. Do not be a stumbling block to somebody. There was a young man a few years ago that uh, the, a group uh, went out after church, I believe it was a midweek service, and he was of age and he ordered a beer in front of everybody and I approached him and I said, don't do that. If you're going to have a beer, have it at home. Don't do that in front of everybody else because there was a man that was there sitting at that table that had just come out of um, substance abuse. I said, you are doing that individual no good by doing that. You're going to be a stumbling block. We do not want to be a stumbling block to anyone. If you enjoy a personal liberty or personal freedom there, then keep it to yourself. Keep it between yourself and God. But whatever we do, let's not be looking down our noses at people. Here's my problem, I think, and I'm, you know, I'm far away from my notes right now, but here's one of the struggles that I have. One of the struggles is that I have is that the church for years has felt like they not only caught the fish, but they needed to clean them too. Bible says that one plants, one waters, God gives the increase. I believe that if God can catch us, he can clean us. And the problem is, is that when we're discipling, we're trying to make them like us. You shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that. And what you have is not a Christian, you've got a clone. And we're not trying to clone. This isn't behavior modification. This, this, this is transformation through Jesus Christ. You want to push them to Jesus. You need to work that stuff out with Jesus. You need to go to Jesus about that. He needs to speak to your heart about that. I'm not trying to get you to be like me. I'm not trying to raise up a bunch of Pastor Johns here. You know, this is how you should live, and this is what you should do, and this is... We don't put a bunch of rules on on the living God. 
We allow God who caught us to clean us. And I believe the problem and the reason why many people don't come back to church is because some well-meaning brother and sister who was trying to disciple them, while that new believer still had a hook in their mouth, they were getting disemboweled while they were eating off the hook yet. Let them grow in Christ. Push them to Jesus. Don't worry. If God caught them, he can clean them. Okay? Hear my heart this morning. Amen? Well, Pastor John, how could you trust a leader that occasionally has a glass of wine or a beer the same way that I could trust that they're going to stay away from the opposite sex because they had premarital sex at one point in their life? Discipline, maturity, growth. I have to trust the Jesus in them, and so do you. Pray for them. Pray for them if you think they're in sin. But whatever you do, don't try to impose your personal do's and don'ts upon their walk with God because you'll crush them, you'll make their walk heavy, and they will see an unrealistic expectation placed on them instead of a God that's leading them. Thank you, Pastor John. I don't know if I agree, but I love you. Look, I have seen more people removed from positions of spiritual authority because of a struggle in their sex drive than I have because they had a lack of discipline in the area of, of alcohol. And don't ask me what I'm more concerned about. And so come on, church, let's encourage people. Man, you need to go to lower that. Let me agree with you in prayer. Instead of telling them how we think that they should live. Man, we need to quit cloning around. That's what we need to do. Amen? And I know what it's like. I've had to remove an individual from staff that struggled in this area of sexual impropriety. I I know what it's like. I totally know what it's like. Amen. I believe in high accountability. Men, you should be accountable. Accountable women, you should be accountable. Be accountable one to another. Amen. Third area. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. As one commentary puts it, use your power to help the powerless. Use your influence for good, not just personal benefit, whether you're an educator, in corrections, business owner, even a stay-at-home mom with more work than most to do. Help people in your sphere of influence. I have seen stay-at-home moms hold children's summer Bible studies in their home. Kristen Johnson did it for years. She had kids coming to their house. She had these Bible studies. She was leading kids to the Lord. She did it for years, long before I was ever in full-time ministry, I was in ministry. I've seen many people successful in business, fun ministries, Christian events, causing many to come to Christ. I was in ministry long before I was placed in full-time ministry. In fact, when somebody is ordained, when hands are laid on them, it should be a confirmation of what they're already doing, not saying, hey, we're now setting you apart. They were set apart a long time ago. They were doing ministry a long time ago. I'd be bringing guys to church. I remember I brought nine guys to church. They all got saved. I can remember in one instance, I took a guy's satanic Bible and I burned it in the place where I was working. The guy working on the floor above me came downstairs and goes, John, is something on fire? And I go, uh, yeah, I probably should have asked. Yeah, I'm burning this satanic Bible in the sink. That's awesome. I can't believe you're doing that. I was in the ministry long before I was in the ministry. I was leading people to Christ long before I got to stand up on a stage and give public altar calls. And so ministry should be a, a proper use of your influence. What are you using your influence for? 
What are you using your platform for, your platform in education, even in neighborhoods? What are you using it for? You should use it to help people. That's what you should do. If you've been blessed financially, use it to help people. Use it to change people's lives. Discipleship is not you telling babes in Christ how to live by not doing this or that. The goal is not for new believers to be like those or discipling them. It's to be like Jesus, and that should be our goal. We want to bring them to Jesus. The life changer is Jesus Christ. We want to encourage them to keep pursuing Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus, man. Get in the word. Be in prayer. You, want to pre you do not want their head full of a bunch of your instruction. You want their head full of God's instruction. And the thing you should be quoting most of them is the word of God. You should be speaking it over their life. Well, I know this, man. I don't know everything, but I know the Bible says. Well, man, I don't know, I don't know much, but I know this. I know the word of God says, hey, let's just agree. Father in heaven, pour your spirit. And you pray for them, and you lead them to Jesus. Lead them to Jesus. Why? Because he'll make them to lie down in green pastures. He'll lead them beside still waters. That's the great shepherd and overseer of our soul's responsibility, not ours. And I think sometimes we take such an awesome responsibility when it comes to discipling that we forget what the purpose of discipling is. Encourage them in Christ. Encourage them in Christ. Amen? And let's stop looking down our noses at where someone's at and, and, and what they're up to. I think we need to, what you do is you slam doors. You slam doors and you come off as judgmental. Isn't it amazing? The last thing we want, the world is becoming more and more liberal. The last thing we want is for the church to be more and more restrictive and choking. And this is a mother speaking to her son. This is a mother speaking to the wisest king that ever lived. And I think her, her instruction stands today. And so let me ask you a few questions. Do you struggle in the area of sex? Do you? I mean, how long are you going to live together before you get married? And let me just say this. God's blessing is not on a man and a woman that move in together and they're, and they're living together and they're sleeping around. Bible says that when a man's found a wife, he's found a treasure and so obtains favor from the Lord. God's favor and blessing is on marriage. That's why it's called holy matrimony. You know, I've never seen anybody start crying when two people said, hey, mom and dad, just want you to know that, that me and, and, and Sam here, we're gonna, we're gonna move in together. That is beautiful. Oh, honey, they're moving in together. That is awesome. I've seen many a tear at a wedding. Why? Because the presence of God is there. Do you struggle in the area of substances? Do you struggle in the area of substances? Are you out of control? Are there things that you're doing in secret? that you know that you shouldn't do? How many of you know that darkness always tries to, to hide? Was what began as a prescription now something that you're a slave to and you can't live without? I've seen successful people struggle with substances. Do your liberties concerning drink go way too far? Has food become a substance for you that's out of control? I mean, but let, let's not look down our noses at people that struggle with drink and, and other things and ignore gluttony because that's as much an imbalance as anything else. Is there a substance in your life that's dominating 
your life. Well, Pastor John, you drink a lot of coffee. Yeah, I can still drive, though, after I'm, <laughs> after I'm drinking coffee. And I'd like to think my life changes for the better when I'm under the influence of coffee. And everybody in my house said, amen, amen. <laughs> Thirdly, do you struggle in the area of selfishness? Do you struggle in the, isn't it amazing that Bathsheba told this to Solomon? Because how many of you know that she was helping herself? The king wants me. Oh, I'll be queen. Uriah, I'm really sorry. It's amazing her husband was Uriah, one of David's mighty men. David calls him from the battlefield and tells him, man, go spend some time with your wife. He wouldn't do it. He slept at David's door. David got him drunk. Read the account. He still wouldn't go sleep with his wife, so David had him killed. Put him on the front line where the battle's the fiercest. Pull back from him. One of his mighty men who would have given his life for David his life got taken, all because of the selfishness of two people. Two people that had wonderful marriages. David had more than enough wives. He didn't need another one, and he definitely didn't need another man's. And it's that Bathsheba that's telling her husband, use your influence to help somebody, because how many of you know she helped herself? And now years later, she's probably more than repentant. I got to believe that she spent more than enough time mourning. She lost a husband, and she lost her first child. And now she's telling her son who's king. Let me tell you, I know a few things. Sit down and listen to me. And young people, I just want to say this. Your parents might seem like they're out of touch with what's going on in your life, but they've got an awful lot of wisdom. You'd do well to listen to them. You know, wisdom's something that's offered. It can't be forced upon anybody. And I want to say this, parents. The Bible tells us not to provoke our children. If you want children, then talk to them like that. If you want to raise up men and women, then come alongside of them and say, you know what, I don't know if I'd do that. This is what wisdom is. You tell a child what to do, but if you're raising a son, if you're raising a daughter, and you want them to become men and women, then you come alongside of them. The Bible says train a child in the way that they should go. It says you just don't tell them. Training means you are an active participant in the raising. I think so many times we think that we'll just give them the long speeches and we'll just talk to them. I think you need to present wisdom to them if you go down this path. Let me tell you where you're headed. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about what it's like to, to, to be unmarried and, and, to, and to have a child. Let me tell you what it's like to struggle with substances. Let me, let me tell you. Let's use the influence that God gave us for good. Three areas, do you struggle in the area of sex, struggle in the area of substances, do you struggle in the area of selfishness? Well, I want to pray for you today. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to worship, and I want to be able to pray for you at the end. As we're worshiping, I want you to think about the three areas, the three areas that King Solomon's mother saw fit to confront him in. And I want to come up and I want to be able to pray for you at the end. Can we do the Do It Again song? Okay. Is that the name of the song? Okay, I like that song. Um, all right.